The Rebrand Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. Welcome to the Rebrand Podcast, and I Hear Everything production. This podcast tells the stories of world-changing marketing campaigns as told by the people who build them. In each episode, you'll hear an earful of brilliance from a marketer who has brought an iconic brand to life. Ready to hear the secrets and untold stories behind the brands you love? Then sit back, relax, and get ready for the rebrand. Here's the host of the Rebrand Podcast, the CEO of OH Partners, Scott Harkey. Welcome to the Rebrand Podcast, where we tell the untold stories of world-changing brand campaigns as told by the marketers who built them. I'm your host and founder of OH Partners, Scott Harkey. Joining us is Emmanuel Prost, who's the global lead brand thought leadership at Ipsos. He's also an adjunct professor at UCLA. Ipsos, which combines uh, the experience and areas of brand communications, advertising, marketing, technology, measure, and amplify how media and brands and consumers uh, connect through the content communication media world. Their research addresses fundamental business issues, often visible at the highest enterprise level. I can tell you that my strategy team always looks at Ipsos when we have a big pitch or we have a, a big problem to solve. They are the leaders in research, no question, which is why when Emmanuel and his folks reached out to us, it was a no-brainer to have them on the show. So we're going to talk a ton about marketing. This is the perfect guest for this show, which we're trying to get better at the art and science of marketing every single day. So again, joining us today is Emmanuel. Yesterday, Emmanuel, I talked about differentiating the Celsius energy drink brand. Today, we're going to continue our conversation. We went over yesterday because we were getting into some crazy stuff, really, really smart, sophisticated brand building stuff. So today, let's break down Ikea. Let's talk about how they branded downtown living. You all heard of Ikea. So we're going we're gonna to get into it uh, with the pro. Okay, here's my conversation with Emmanuel Prost, the global lead brand thought leadership at Ipsos. And he's an adjunct professor at UCLA. He's written two badass books. One uh, we plugged last episode. I'm going to get it on Audible because I love listening to audio books, but uh, you can buy it on Amazon or Audible. Okay, let's get into it. Uh, talk to me about IKEA. I can't put their shit together, but talk to me about how they've built an amazing brand. First, Scott, thank you for having me back on the show today. I really appreciate it connecting with you and your community. Also, just like you, I do not put IKEA furniture together. I can <laughs> that I have access to very cheap labor because my sons are 13 and 16. So I want to reward them handsomely, but uh, <laughs> I don't get my hands dirty in assembling uh, I, IKEA furniture. Okay, now on a more serious note. <laughs> what IKEA has been known for originally is furniture that would be inexpensive, stylish enough, and that you could assemble yourself. Some downsides in the world we live in today. Well, you have to go to those massive IKEA stores that even though the layout is very artfully designed, very, very strategically designed, the store experience can still be overwhelming. Also, IKEA had been facing criticisms, people not being able to 
reuse, recycle the furniture. And the furniture industry in general and IKEA in particular is responsible for a lot of waste on earth because the IKEA furniture don't necessarily keep well. So IKEA had to address this situation. And a third thing from a marketing standpoint is while the store layout is excellent, it is not always very relatable. And what I mean by this is no matter how well you stage the store, you are still in a store that sells furniture. So where IKEA has been doing so well is one, enable people to recycle and upcycle their furniture. What this means is you can bring your IKEA shelf to the store and IKEA will give it a second life by selling this piece of furniture to someone else. And that supports their mission around sustainability. It is also very meaningful to consumers. Levi's does this as well, Lululemon as well. Many brands, more and more brands now, offer to take back the gently worn or gently used items and sell them back to new consumers and give those items a second life. So that's important from a sustainability standpoint that is also very meaningful to people because it personifies the product. It gives it an identity. It makes it more precious, if you will. Now I'm no longer just buying an IKEA shelf. I'm buying an IKEA shelf that had a previous life at someone else's home. And that makes it tangible, genuine, authentic, valuable to me. Which we spoke briefly about the book yesterday. That's really something I cover in my latest book, Assemblage, The Art and Science of Brand Transformation. What we want to do here is we want to reassure people about the past, the present, the future. And by enabling people to upcycle and recycle these items, we give the product a second life, which in turn reassures people about the future of this item and therefore their own future, if that makes sense. That's something IKEA does really, really well. I mean, I didn't think about the sustainability effort of IKEA. I think about so many other things, but it makes a ton of sense if you think about the sustainability problem that they were having wasn't just a, a corporate initiative of we need to do better at sustainability to check this box. The sustainability issue that they were having was almost, and this is what it sounds like and I'm taking away, it sounds like it was a direct shot at their quality and their customer's perception of the quality of furniture because it was being thrown away so much. So if you have this, like you're kind of not a bad person, but kind of you don't really care. So there's so many times I hear about sustainability campaigns that feel and come off flat and fake at times because it feels like a corporate initiative to check a box. And it sounds like bullshit, honestly. In this case, I think the way they're talking about Second Life and the way you talked about it just seemed to fit so much more in their brand. It didn't feel fake to me like a lot do at times. And some of the research I've seen, a ton of the research I've seen around sustainability, it's really interesting because it's, at least from what I've seen, not a number one driver for sales, like as in like your initial lead message, but it's a very important fabric of a company that gives a crap about the economy and cares about their consumers. Could you talk about maybe 
other brands or, or things that come to mind or how people fail in this manner? Yeah, I can. You said two things that are important. One, sustainability. Very often, it seems like brands just try to check the box. What has changed with COVID and over the last three years, really, is people expect brands to demonstrate their purpose, not just to talk about it. It's not good enough to say, hey, I'm going to be carbon-free by 2035. Nobody cares. What's important is demonstrate something tangible to me, consumer, that I can experience when interacting with your brand. That's exactly what Levi's is doing, Lululemon is doing, IKEA is doing, any brand that facilitates upcycling and, and recycling. The second point that I cover at length in my latest book, Assemblage, is this process of co-creation with people, meaning as a marketing leader, as a brand strategist, you no longer dictate to your audience how they should feel about your brand. You are no longer in control of the narrative. You merely guide the narrative and you co-create your brand identity with your audience. You need to get them involved. And by encouraging people to bring back those gently worn, gently used items and to give them a second life, that's exactly what you do. You engage with your audience in that process of co-creation about what does the brand mean to me, the consumer? What does the brand stands for in the community? And that's very important for marketers moving forward, I feel, to understand this, not be scared and harness the power of the community. So understand that you no longer have control. Don't be scared about giving up some of the control you had. You'll cannot dictate the brand narrative anymore and harness the opportunity. And how do you do that? By getting your community of consumers and people involved in co-creating the brand with you. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I want to dissect that a little bit. I love what you said. And we've seen this happening at a faster rate, especially when Facebook really came on the scene and social became such an important communication vehicle for brands where it wasn't any longer brands getting on a television ad with a microphone and saying how great they are to come buy their stuff. It was a two-way conversation. And now to the point where I love the word you said, and I've heard this word in, in more one-on-one -on -one meetings I've had with people at my agencies or with other partners or even with clients and the word co-create. I want to circle double star that word of co-create, co-create, co-create. Because you've said it in a different way than I've heard about. I've heard about a lot of co-creation projects that, that we think about, at least I do, in the art of making communication, marketing, and advertising with partners. But you're talking about this co-creation world with brands and consumers. And I love that you said that they're no longer in control. It needs to be this co-creation process, brand and customer. That's really interesting. And again, you have a way of saying things that I agree with and that I've heard, but in a, in a little different way. So I'm excited about this book because I think it'll give people a different perspective on why things are important. So that's a heavy order for CMOs, um, which is probably why they have an 18-month lifespan at companies, because corporate companies like to be in control. And you're basically saying that they're not really in control. Consumers are in control with the beliefs, shapes, and attitudes of a company. How would you give somebody confidence in a process in which they can be successful 
stewarding a brand for success in this new co-creation world. And I'll insist on this word co-creation and I'll answer your question and also elaborate a little bit on co-creation. I love it. Uh, so we can talk about intentions versus expectations. And to address your question directly, what should CMOs do? They should be intentional towards their audience. Here is what I mean by intentional. Expectations are what people expect to receive from the product. Expectations is do me. Expectations is I'm sitting on my couch and I expect when I switch the TV on that it's going to work. Expectations is about the functional benefit of a can of Red Bull. I expect that it's going to give me a jolt of energy. Expectations is stepping into an electric car and I expect that I will be able to drive 300 miles. Those are very important. They're passive though, okay? Is as a consumer, you sit back, relax, if you will, and that's what you expect when you board a flight. They always tell you, sit back, relax, and enjoy the flight. You expect the airline to take you from point A to point B. You have no control over that. And you believe, and rightly so as a consumer, that the brand owes this to you. That's why you're paying the brand in the first place. So that's expectations. Intentions is the process of co-creation. Intentions means together the brand and I, we're going to create that identity for the product for myself. So when I say brands are no longer in control, brands can guide the narrative. Brands can facilitate this process. An example that comes to mind is Nike, the in-store experience. If you go, for example, to their flagship store in London, you're going to be able to personalize some of the, the sneakers and the sports apparel you will buy from them. You will also be able to join classes. You will be able to join a community, the Nike Running Club. And that is going to be your interaction with the brand. The brand is going to provide you more than just products. Sure, they can sell sneakers. That's fine. Importantly, how do they make me feel? How can I make those products feel personal, authentic, and precious in a way? A prized possession, something that I don't want to discard, something that I'm going to keep for a long time. And Nike invites me to co-creating this narrative around the product and to co-creating the narrative with other members of the running club. That is what the process of co-creation is about. And that's one example of a brand that beautifully, artfully facilitates this process with its audience. Wow. I think a lot of times as marketers, I've heard the word utility and be a utility for customers. But in order to build the right utility, you must have the right mindset of co-creation with your customers. And and if you're co-creating and your brand essence and brand purpose is all about co-creating, maybe not your purpose, but at least pieces of the fabric of your brand as a philosophy for co-creation, then utilities can be born like the Nike Runkle, which is which is brilliant. And so many other great ones that we've seen. Wow. I, the co- I mean, we could say co-create a hundred times on this podcast because it's that important. And, and, and all the marketing crap I go to and industry functions, I, I've heard a lot of North Star and I've heard, you know, brand purpose, but the word co-create has not come up in terms of brand marketing. So Damn. Okay. What's cool is I just looked and we have another podcast, which I'm excited about because we're just going to talk to you about more marketing philosophies in this book, because everything that you're saying is really useful. 
I mean, I'm really blown away by marketing conversations, but I'm, I'm really blown away at some of the philosophies that you're expanding on for this group. So don't go anywhere. I know, I know we have a lot more to talk about. So we're going to wrap it up for this episode again of the Rebrand Podcast. Um, but we're going to actually have a bonus third episode with Emmanuel global lead here, brand thought leadership at Ipsos, which is a giant global research company that most of the big agencies and brands that I know use. He's also a junk professor at uh, another great Prac 12 school, UCLA. Great football team this year too. So in the third part of this interview, which we're going to publish tomorrow. So my, my podcast producer, Ben Shapiro, a big shout out to Ben. I haven't even talked about this yet, but I was just told today we're the third ranked marketing podcast in the US and the 120 first ranked podcast for business in the US. And we've been doing this like a month. Ben is a genius. And thank you so much, Ben. But all these people listening to this podcast, we're seeing the trend. You listen to the first one and then they're like, damn, I want to I hear the second one. Oh, let, let's hear the third one. So we're, we're going to tease a third one out because we have a manual with us, which we rarely do. And I'm glad we did. If you can't wait till our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Emmanuel, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes, or you can contact him on Twitter where his handle is Emmanuel P-R-O-B-S-T. Or they can visit the company websites at ipsos.com and it's actually backslash en.us. Just one link to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to the podcast, head over to rebrandpod.com. We'll have summaries of all our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to that newsletter. You know you can. Or if you want to talk about the most impactful marketing campaign you've been a part of or you've wanted to be, apply to be a guest on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handles at rebrandpod on all the stuff, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can contact me directly. I'm on that Twitter right now. It's crazy in Twitter right now. So buckle up. But I'm on Twitter. It's SharkyAZ. You can also find me on all the good stuff. I'm even on damn TikTok. It's Scott Harkey. I'm not the financial Scott Harkey in Charlotte, but he's killing it too. Shout out to that Scott Harkey. But uh, I'm on uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, all the good stuff. Always reach out, especially if you're a marketer. I'd love it. If you haven't subscribed yet and you want to daily stream of campaign brilliance in your podcast phase. We'll publish that episode every day during the work week. So hit that subscribe button, your podcast app, and we'll be right back in your feed the next business day. I love when I get the podcast, it sets me a little alert on my phone. I'm like, all right, here's another episode. Let's go. Let's let's see how stupid I sounded or how good I sounded. Who knows? But it's cool to have it there. Uh, I have all my favorite podcasts I do that with and it just hits me up and uh, it's kind of how I continue to learn. But that's it for today. Remember, next time, it's never too late to rebuild, reboot, or rebrand.